Okay, good morning again, everyone. I'm privileged to know many of you, but for those that don't know me, my name is Matt Mancinelli, and I grew up here at Grace. I'm very indebted to this church that introduced my family to Jesus, introduced me to Jesus, and so it's a pleasure to be here this morning with you. Uh, when I left uh, Grace, or I, I haven't been back much anyway since high school, first thing I did was go to Taylor University, and uh, there we had some of the best Christian speakers come through a few days a week. And uh, three times a week, we'd get people from around the world, around the country, uh, giving talks. And I made it a habit of, with some of those who gave especially compelling messages to go and meet them afterwards. And one thing I learned during that time is that just because someone can give a compelling message doesn't mean they're a compelling person that I'd want to hang out with. And I uh, learned that the hard way with some who felt all about themselves or different things. I had a very different experience with one of those speakers who's here with us this morning to bring our message. And this man gave a compelling message, and I went up uh, feeling encouraged and asked him if he could give me some more encouragement. There's a long line of people waiting to talk to him. So he gave me his card and said, sure, follow up. And I did, and uh, we stayed in contact a little bit. And the next year at his invitation, I moved to London, England, and we went together to 15 countries uh, around the world, and the more and more time I spent with him, the more I appreciated and admired him. Uh, even together, you know, what, whatever was going wrong, um, he's a deep man of prayer and made prayer a lifestyle, uh, hopefully not just because of my driving. Every time we got in the car, he prayed, um, and is a man of humility, a man who gives and gives and gives, whatever's given to him. Uh, he gives it again, and a man who's full of grace. And so he started an organization called Operation Mobilization uh, that has missionaries, uh, thousands of missionaries in countries all over the world, uh, and he is a great hero of the Christian faith and a great hero of mine. Please welcome George Verwer. Amen. Sort of a dream come true to finally come to this church. I live in London, England. I don't get to the States so much. And Matt uh, was with me for a whole year, and we talk about the church and pray for the ministry here. Then at breakfast once, I met a few of your shakers and movers. And so now it's, uh, it's finally happened. The response uh, in the first service is so overwhelming, as I talked to about 50 people at the door. I'm still recovering, so please be patient with me. We also had a complete swamp at our book table, the most unusual book table in the United States, as a lot of the books are all completely free. We don't even accept donations for them. There's another part of the table where if you want to give a donation, those books, and my helper who has Matt's job, he's only joined me a few weeks ago, be sure to meet him. Uh, Micah from Germany, though he's been about five years in Canada, and told me about his visit to Detroit. So we don't have so many books left over, but we have enough to give each one of you, hopefully, at least one book as a gift. It's important to learn to receive a gift, even if you don't want it. I've been getting unwanted gifts for 50 years all over the world, and I'm always trying to be polite and receive the gift, especially if you've got some really strange Korean super vitamins from my last 
trip. I've been sitting in my living room in a big golden box. My wife is wondering when is that going to be uh, removed. We're already taking too many vitamins. So we hope you will receive uh, our gift at our book table. And uh, maybe because I often forget, I could just mention the feature of the morning is a book that a lot of people pay $20 for, Operation World, and you can get it for any donation, just according to what you can afford. This became the most widely distributed missionary book almost in history. Um, just a tremendous book with prayer requests on every nation in the world. You can also use it as a reference book. It's not just Christian information. It is getting dated, and it probably never will be reproduced in this form. Probably only be on the internet in the future. But what a nugget that you can pass on to the next generation. I've been praying through that book off and on for the last, uh, I guess, 30, 35 years. And it's helped set the tone. Little did I realize that I would uh, have the privilege of visiting and to uh, 100 of those different nations. I cannot explain to you what Jesus did to me March 3rd, 1955, when he invaded my life and filled me with love, love for people. In fact, since that day, I've never even met a person I disliked. I was tempted and initially didn't like a particular person, but I discovered through just quick repentance, acknowledging my own wretchedness, that I soon found something in that person that I could like and then work on it from there. And by God's grace, by God's grace, he's given me just thousands of friendships with people from way over 100 nations. Operation Mobilization, the ministry I'm involved with, is not so known in the States because it's firstly a European movement, though I was there as a sort of founder, living in Spain, not really knowing what God was doing. Uh, my vision was very narrow, Muslim world, communist world, closed countries. And it was my failure uh, the next summer after my wife and I moved to Spain. It was my failure in smuggling uh, into Russia when I got arrested and accused of being an American spy by the KGB that changed the course of my life and our movement. Before that, we were known as Send the Light. And just that narrow focus, Muslim world, communist world, where I was at that time, closed countries. But through that failure, and by the way, there's a great book on that title. Have you seen that book by Erwin Lutzer of Moody Church in Chicago? Failure, the Back Door to Success. I recommend it. It's a great book. Well, I've not read it myself, but the cover, <laughs> the cover especially uh, spoke to me. So that failure led me into a day of prayer, and in that day of prayer, God gave me this name, Operation Mobilization. My fa wife's father was uh, killed in the war, Mobilization was never used by the church until that day. It was a God thing. And, you know, I'm not the kind of person that, that has this kind of thing often. But as I was worshiping, he gave me this name, Operation Mobilization, and the vision to see Germans and French and, and Dutch and Swedes who had all been murdering and killing each other only 10 or 20 years before, mobilizing to evangelize all of Europe. And that it would spill over that so much would happen in Europe, it would spill over into the Muslim countries like Turkey 
and the Middle East and Afghanistan, Iraq, these were all the top countries in our thinking for the very birth of our movement when we had those nights of prayer there in Chicago when I was a student at Moody. I went back to Spain and I shared this vision with these Spaniards. There's now a film about this. I'm sorry, all the films went in the first, after the first service. But if any of you would like the movie, film of my life story, you just email me. You can Google and get my name and email very easily or Facebook. And I'll send it to you as a gift together with my new book called uh, Messiology. I managed to grab a copy or two before they all disappeared. But that's the new film that's come out of my life story, which is really a sermon in disguise. Until uh, you will discover that as you travel with me in about six different countries. And this is sort of my legacy book to the next generation, what God has given me in these 60 years of serving him that I want to pass on, even to my own grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And uh, that's my own original word, messiology. It doesn't exist, actually. And it's based on a George Verber proverb, which you'll not find in your Bible. I've been... I was selling books, Christian books, door to door shortly after my conversion before going to Mexico, where the roots of our movement were in Mexico, and I met this really amazing lady. She could see that I was strong on zeal and weak on wisdom. She sat me down. She said, do you study the Proverbs? I don't think I'd found that book yet. And she said, uh, a proverb a day will keep the devil away. She really scared me, and I've been reading the Proverbs ever since. So then I started to write my own. They won't get in the Bible. I don't know how to apply for that. But my favorite proverb, which has gone all over the world, is where two or three of the Lord's people are gathered together. Sooner or later, there's a mess. That's been my experience for 60 years. And that's why God has been very merciful to me in the midst of my struggles and my doubts, even sometimes losing my faith completely. God gave me this concept that all of these things that often bother us and disturb us, and any sin, of course, grieves God. But he knows how to work in the midst of it. He did great things in this nation, even during the Civil War. He was saving people in a big way when we were still practicing slavery, though God hated slavery. God is God. He's not like us. God can experience all the emotions all at the same time. And we can grieve him, and yet he will turn around in mercy and grace and bless us and use us to win people to Christ. In fact, many of the people who win more people to Jesus are people who don't actually have the act together themselves. Even young Christians who are struggling along doing really stupid things, and yet they share their faith, and so another guy who's doing stupid things joins them, and pretty soon you have a people movement. The church is one gigantic, messy movement of 40,000 denominations, but God is in the midst of it. And as we in America are living in these very complex times building up to the election, we must not lose our focus. This is no big deal with God. This is only one of hundreds of nations that God is concerned about and working in. And God, in the midst of the mess, and we seem to be increasing it by the day over here, God is doing great things in the United States. And God is still sending out tens of thousands of missionaries, short-term, hundreds of thousands. Last summer, a million 
if we put the Europeans with us, have been out serving him. These are tremendous days. And we need to avoid being negative and grumpy. And if you're married to a negative, grumpy person, my heart goes out to you. And I have a special prayer list for grumpy people. Just email me. Send a photograph of the grumper. And I will pray that they get set free. Because God, he, he wants us to be rejoicing. He wants us to be happy people. And at the same time, unselfish people constantly reaching out to those who are suffering around the world. I thank the Lord for the ministry he's given you and the concern you have concerning global sex trafficking. We also have a ministry along that line called the Freedom Climb. Women are climbing mountains, advocating, dealing with sex traffic crisis, and they've raised a couple of million for ministries around the world on the front lines, including OM and our Good Shepherd Movement in India, and there's a leaflet about that there on the book table that I hope you'll uh, be able to uh, pick up as you go to our literature table and get your free books. So as you might guess, I'm very excited. And I'm thanking the Lord for the privilege of being here. And I especially thank God that he ever brought Matt Mancinelli into my life, who served me for 365 days as a servant and enabled me to be more effective as we took about 300 meetings around the world, speaking to hundreds of thousands of people, seeing thousands of people make various kinds of decisions, and seeing millions of dollars released for global missions and the accomplishment of his purposes. 60 men have had that same job. I'm in touch with every one of them. They're all over the world. Some of them started with me when I was only 19 and went to Mexico. And one of the things I want to shout from the housetops this morning is that God uses all kinds of people. And if I could do a survey on your life, I believe I could show you God is using you more than you realize. Because some of you have the tendency to put yourself down. Some of you have been drugged into legalism in your early childhood, and you're still impacted by the legalism that tends to cause you to be legalistic concerning yourself concerning things that you feel maybe are not right. Some of them may not be right. But we're all pilgrimage. We're all pilgrims. It takes time to become mature in Jesus. I'm still working on it. <laughs> I was just with Brother Andrew. How many ever heard of Brother Andrew, God smuggler? Raise your hand. He's 10 years older than me. We, you, may, you may have seen the blog on YouTube of Brother Andrew and I together. I said, Brother Andrew, if you could do it over again, you know, what would you do? And he said, I'd be more radical. If there was ever a radical man, it's Brother Andrew who became God's smuggler. Many of you have read the book. Well, I'm known as uh, Brother George in Europe, <laughs> uh, God's bungler. Uh, that means the guy who makes a stupid mistake because I was arrested. My third day of smuggling into the Soviet Union, I was arrested by the KGB, accused of being a spy. Now, that led me to that day of prayer when God gave me that name, Operation Mobilization, and that vision to see Germans and French and British, as they were sharing, working together. In the next two summers, this movement was born. The first summer, only 200. The next summer, there were 2,000. And they gave the gospel to 25 million people across Europe. They were soon traveling in these old trucks we repaired ourselves through an army of mechanics, some of them from Michigan. 
traveling to India, traveling to the Middle East. This has been going on nonstop now for over half a century. And these teams traveling around the world, and we had whole charter flights full of Americans joining them eventually, have given the gospel. We stopped counting 20 years ago to one billion people. God uses ordinary people. I'm still mystified that God could ever use a character like me. And I just thank him for saving grace. How did it happen in my life? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. And I'll tell you how it happened in my life. And I would love to get an email and know how it happened in your life. I had a marker in the first service in the book of Matthew, but somebody must have taken it away. There it is. Verse 35, chapter 9. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. Jesus was a person of action, and if we are to follow Jesus, we must be people of action. We must be involved in reaching out to people. There are many different ways we can do this. And surely one of the reasons God has put you in greater Detroit is because he's brought people from all over the world to Detroit. Brother Andrew, 20 or 30 years ago, he reminded me of this in our visit in the Netherlands just the other day. And those many years ago, he said, if we don't go to the Muslim people, the Lord will bring the Muslim people to us. And you in this area, and we have a friend of mine here from Dearborn, you know the fantastic opportunity we have to share our faith. And one of the things that will help you share your faith with Muslims is that oftentimes in your first conversation, in your first encounter, and this is true of other cultures as well, you don't need to lay the Jesus Christian trip on them. You need to accept them as human beings. You need to make them somewhat feel accepted, feel comfortable, maybe have a cup of coffee and listen to their story. Evangelism today involves more listening than talking. And as we listen to their story, then we might have the opportunity to tell our story, which I'm having the privilege of sharing with you this morning. Jesus was a person of action and I believe some of you may want to make a decision this morning that there's going to be a little less talk, a little less observing, including television, and a little more action toward the people around us, many of whom are suffering. And psychological and emotional suffering is a legitimate form of suffering. And when we think of suffering, we cannot think of just physical suffering, but the emotional and mental struggling suffering that people go through, especially when they feel so isolated and feel rejected. I just come from South Africa where our ship was. That's why one of the 10 reasons I'm still taking meetings around the world, I'm looking for recruits for our ship. Somebody asked me after the first service, is it Mercy Ships? We are linked with Mercy Ships, a wonderful hospital ship ministry, been linked with the founder from the beginning. But our ships are evangelistic ships, training ships, giving young people a one-year training experience, leadership experience. We have a new leadership program being launched in February. And some of you, especially younger ones, need to at least look into Lagos Hope. You just Google Lagos Hope, and you, you can even follow the ship as it sails 
through the oceans. It's in Africa right now and Ghana, but soon we'll be heading for the Caribbean, which makes it a lot more easier for Americans to get involved. More than that, would you pray for our ship ministry? The cost of fuel dropping has saved us hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars to keep this big ship going. 400 people live on the ship. About the same number who are sitting here now, they live on this ship. It's a floating community of 40 different nationalities and all different races. By the way, OM was one of the main groups in the world pioneering interracial marriage. We've concocted the more variety of marriages than any mission agency in all of history. That's why OM, our initials, now seems to stand for Operation Marriage. We're still waiting for a pygmy from Africa to marry a tall man from Alaska. That's not yet happened, but we have high goals and we're pressing on in our put people together ministry across the globe. And there's over 1,000 married couples that are rejoicing around and praising God because they met each other on God's Holy Ghost love boat. I'm not supposed to say things like that in a public meeting because it gives people the wrong idea. But I've always had that gifted gifting of being able to give people the wrong idea. I'm trying to work on that. But let's finish reading the passage. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. We see the motivation of Jesus. And God is concerned about our motives. I talk about that in my various books, which I'd be happy to send you as a gift because most of them went after the first service. And I think it's good. It's good to stop. I did it many times. I went many times for whole days of prayer, searching my own heart. Is my motive right? And God enabled by his grace to see my motives transformed. And it's just so refreshing. Imagine the fulfilling life I've had looking back at 60 years, the privilege of serving the king, an ambassador of Jesus. I honor people who are in all different professions. I have friends in the military profession. My helper last year has eight years in the military before working for me. That was good training. I honor people in all different professions. But I'd like us in the midst of these unique days to remember that being a missionary, even if the word some people don't like, being a missionary is a legitimate profession. It's a career. And I'd ask some of you that maybe haven't considered this before to consider missions as a career. It's not just a short-term thing you go for a summer or two. That's only come to pass since the birth of YWAM and Operation Mobilization and a few others. We need short-termers. Most of you probably have already been on a short-term trip, but we need career missionaries. There's 40 nations. There's 40 nations that have less than 2% of the witness that we have in London, England, where I live. In London, England, we got 1 million Muslims. We have hundreds of languages being spoken. We're a mission field. So what are we going to say about 40 nations that have less than 2% of London? You can't even compare it with an American city. We are the most over-evangelized nation in the world. But of course, that doesn't mean much to people who don't have discernment because they think the main thing 
is that somehow we have a Christian nation and somehow we are all more Christian in Detroit. I'm not saying that is not a factor in it, but God's passion is that everyone have the opportunity to hear the gospel. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall be my witnesses. Acts 1.8. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. And I'm praying, and I know many of you are already in this mode, but I'm praying that some of you this morning, your vision will increase for the nations of the world. That a book that was of no interest to you an hour ago will somehow become a passion because you want to know about the nations. You want to know about Somalia. You want to know about Libya and Tunisia. You want to know about Afghanistan and Turkmenistan and Uzbekistan. You want to pray for the situation in Afghanistan. You're concerned about Ukraine. You're open even to going to those nations. Our new director here in the United States, President of OM, Andrew Scott, has a book called Scattered. I'd be happy to send you a copy showing that there's also a new model, which isn't so new because it's been going on already, but there's an increased number of men and women going to these more unclosed, unreached countries with their own profession. They get jobs in Saudi Arabia. They get jobs in Somalia. They get jobs in Libya. Some of those doors aren't open so much right now. Other doors are open. You'll never know if a door is open if you never push it. How many of you have even pushed You've even pushed the door of perhaps serving among the more unreached and suffering people of the world where they've never heard the gospel even once. I'd ask you, I'd beg of you to have a change in your thinking about the world in which we love and become less American-centric and more God-focused and more obedient to the Word of God rather than just the latest cliche coming across television. I chose this passage because this is why I'm here today. I wasn't from a Christian family. My grandfather was a hardball Dutchman. He was an atheist. I just visited his hometown, and one thing he especially disliked, and that was the church. He moved to America to find the good life my grandfather never did. My father was more just trying to make a living, battling through the Depression. He was a good father. My good, I had a good father and a mother. I think they were seekers, though they weren't true believers. And so I had a very happy childhood. I don't remember any unhappy days in my childhood. My dad always affirmed me and encouraged me. I was just into sports. Then, of course, I discovered girls. That's the greatest thing on the whole planet. 32 different girls blew my circuits before I was even 16. I had a picture of Marilyn Monroe on the end of my bed. I don't want to tell you the rest of the story. And so I was very happy. I certainly don't need Jesus. It all changed because of a woman who believed these verses. Look at the next verse. Pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth workers into the harvest. Do you ever pray that prayer? That's so basic. How many of you seriously pray for workers to go out into the more unreached nations? Raise your hand. Quite a few hands. That didn't quite make my day. I, I want to back up a bit. How many of you would be willing You'd be willing to pray for workers to go out into the harvest field. Raise your hand. Whoa, 100% response. That's a message in itself, isn't it? That generally God's chosen frozen, I mean, generally God's people are better at being willing 
than actually ever doing something. And I believe this will be a Sunday morning that will change your life. And that from this day on, you will be a doer of the word, not a hearer of the word. You'll no longer be that willing person. You will be that person that has presented your body as a living sacrifice to Jesus. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. You will be that person that denies self, takes a cross, up the cross every day and follows him. That's the only Christianity I read about in this book. Some call it radical discipleship. When people say that, I always remind them that radical discipleship without radical grace, a lesson I learned the hard way, is a dead-end street. But you can embrace both. And some of our books that you can pick up on that table will help you along that line. Pray the Lord of the harvest. He'll send forth workers into the harvest. So guess what? This woman put my name on our Holy Ghost hit list. Yeah. She not only prayed that I become a Christian, she prayed that I would become a missionary. Huh? She didn't even discuss this with me. I already had my own business, Bergen County Sales Company. I was making money. She's praying now that I'm going to become a missionary. She then put action into her prayer by sending me a gospel of John through the mail. And as I read that little book, at the same time, pornography came into my life, which as a young teenager completely blew my emotional circuits. And I think could have possibly even destroyed me. And then God in his providence brought Billy Graham. Not for a crusade, a one-night meeting, Madison Square Garden, a guest speaker for Jack Wurston, converted band leader, founded the Word of Life camps. And a business person gave me a free seat, this woman praying away for me. Gave me a free seat on a coach, on a bus in the New York City. I sat as far away as I could. I heard Billy Graham might be a hypnotist. This was not my scene, I can tell you. I even brought my binoculars to get a closer look on what kind of methods uh, hypnotism he might be using. Instead, I heard the simple of gospel of Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then he did something I'd never seen before. By the way, I thought I was all right as far as religion. I wasn't an atheist. I, I, was, a, I, was, a, I was a president of the youth fellowship in my church. My church in my town, it was, the church, it was the center of social life. That's where a lot of the really nice-looking girls were. They were in the church. So I, got, I became the assistant to the pastor, junior assistant to the pastor, sort of the blind, leading the blind club. So, you know, the greatest enemy of Holy Ghost, biblical Jesus revolution is the Christian religion that has sort of so-called dominated our society. It is getting a lot weaker, and I celebrate it. It's not all positive, like so many things in life. There's a mixture, and we know the reality of that battle. So I heard this totally different message. Most of you have heard that message. I want to ask, is there anyone, anyone this afternoon that's still not trusted him? Maybe you have doubts. Maybe you're bombarded with doubts. That's why you're not trusting Jesus. Hey, send me your list of doubts. If I can't double your list, I'll send you a hundred bucks. <laughs> Great faith is not in the absence of doubt. Great faith is as we battle through doubt. And for some of us, it may be all of our life. 
What are the other options? I've studied most of them for 60-some years, and they don't hold the credibility that the Word of God and the message of Jesus even intellectually holds for those of us who are sitting here this morning. Believe on the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt be saved. And that night, March 3rd, 1955, I believed, and he saved me. I think because of that woman's prayers, he sent me that same night. And I was soon back in my high school where they were about to elect me president of the student council, which meant I could share my testimony with the entire school. We started prayer meetings in the school. People came out. People started getting saved. They invited me back for Christmas break. It was an auditorium about half the size of this auditorium. You can see it in this film. Hundreds came to that meeting at Christmas. And I shared my story. And 125 stood my high school friends to believe on Jesus, including my own father, the son of an atheist. From that day, from that day to this day, I've continually realized God can use anybody. I was only 18. I didn't know how to preach. I didn't know the Bible very well. I was still struggling with different problems. I had so many problems as a young Christian especially when I met some of these legalistic types. I met a little guy, said, ha ha, now that you're a Christian, no more kissing girls. What, are you out of your mind? This is the main thing that I do. <laughs> yeah, I was a kissing Pharisee. I thought I was better. Other guys were having sex with their, you know, with their girlfriends, and I thought I was better than them. I'm only kissing up a storm. Sex is for just when I get married. I was a Pharisee. Then I met another guy. He said, hey, now that you're a Christian, no more dancing. Well, my mother vaccinated me with a phonograph needle. Some of you don't even know what that is. And so, how am I ever going to stop dancing? I'm born to dance. And uh, I, got in, I got in trouble with this video because they put a scene in here that wasn't official of me dancing in the underground system of Madrid to some kind of rock group. I don't know what they were doing in the underground or the subway, you may call it, in New York City. But I want to say to any of you who are young Christians... It's normal to have these struggles. God's people, no matter how filled they are with the Spirit, they're incredibly human. They carry their cultural baggage. They carry their doctrinal peculiarities. This is the way it is on this planet. We see all the problem in the sports world. We see all the problem in the political world. We see the chaos and the mess in almost every area of society. Please listen to this. So why are we shocked? when we have a bit of mess sometimes in missions or in the church. It's completely normal. Of course, we still aim for excellency in every area. But we refuse to be discouraged when things go wrong, when prayers don't seem to be answered. And I celebrate Philip Yancey's great book, Disappointment with God, and Ronald Dunn's book, When God is Silent, and Edith Schaefer's book on the subject of affliction. These books that help me have a more balanced understanding of prayer and the delays and complexity of prayer have helped me survive enormous attacks of the enemy, especially upon my mind. Brothers and sisters, God wants to use you. He already is. But he's brought me here this morning, and I only arrived from London yesterday. I almost didn't come because my wife had to have surgery the day before yesterday in the hospital. I knew I had to be with her. But as her surgery went well and I checked her out of the hospital in London, my grandson took over and released me. And my wife, for 56 years, has never held me back. I've spent one-third of my life 
often in tremendous pain, away from my wife to take 300 meetings, it used to be 500 across the world, to see men and women come to Jesus. God somehow, despite my struggles and weaknesses, a lifetime struggle with lust, has somehow used me. And he's brought me here to say he wants to use you. I'm sure he already is, so we celebrate that. But he wants to use you more. And he may want to use you in some ways that are a bit of a surprise. For some of you, it might be a second career in which God transplants you from your comfortable little world to the, some inner city somewhere, maybe in the middle of London, or, hey, Detroit, or New York City, or Chicago. Often a prophet is with, without honor in their own country. And some of you may only blossom in ministry when you get somehow away from your own family, your own culture, your own situation. God can work within that as well. He leads different people in different ways. And I want you to consider the nations of the world that have next to nothing. 2,000 years after Jesus gave the command, they have next to nothing of the gospel. And it starts in prayer. One woman prayed. Look what God has done through the prayers of that one woman. And as you pray, hallelujah, we give thanks to the Lord. And as you pray, God wants to do some wonderful things. I close with this story that has encouraged a lot of people. Just how much God loves you, how much God wants to use you, no matter what your weaknesses and struggles and disabilities. And it's the story of this family in the thunderstorm. The thunderstorm was so vicious that even the adults they were a bit nervous. Then they realized their little seven-year-old is alone up in her bedroom. They ran upstairs, expected to see her hiding under the bed. The lightning was so fierce, the thunder was so loud. Guess what? She's looking out the window. They said, are you okay? With a big smile, the little girl looked at her mom and dad and said, I'm fine. There's another flash of lightning. I'm fine. I think God is taking my picture. If you know Jesus, he is your child. He is doing way more than taking your picture. And he wants to give all of us a more intimate fellowship with himself. But no matter how spirit-filled we are, we'll be incredibly human. Let's learn to live with our own humanness. Let's learn to live with other people's humanness and failures. Let's not on one hand have this theology knowing if a person says they don't sin, they deceive themselves. Therefore, we know everyone does sin. But when we see sin, we often overreact to it and people get hurt and the situation becomes more complicated as gossip is one of the number one things the devil is using to destroy and hinder the body of Christ around the world. May God, may God, by his grace, give us a fresh baptism of radical grace, radical forgiveness. I share this as an extra story. You will never forget this. I mentioned the name of a friend in a church in Northern Ireland. A lady came up to me the friend's name was Lindsay. She came up to me and said, well, you mentioned your friend. Isn't he in prison? I said, it's a different Lindsay. But it got my curiosity. Same name. 
I did my research and found out Lindsay in prison was a leading Bible teacher in that nation. But in a moment of struggle and weakness, he did something sexually wrong with an underage person. Probably not a child, but maybe someone, uh, you know, 15, 16. And I'm not saying that's right. 30 years later, this came up. He's arrested. It hits the front page of the national newspaper, devastating him and his family. And of course, I went to see him in prison. I saw a broken man, and I'll never forget it. I saw a forgiven man. I saw a man that I believed God was going to use. When he got out of prison, he could not live in that country anymore because of the culture, because of many factors. His wife, and they're still together emotionally, though not much physically, released him to go to a foreign country across the water. He and I meet every year. He's never done that again. God's using him to touch lives. He has opened doors among Catholics. He has opened doors among biblical evangelicals. He doesn't, he's very cautious. He doesn't go into the internet. And he's lived a life of moral purity. People who commit that crime and that sin, they are considered the scum. Hundreds of thousands are in our USA prisons. Many of them without hope. Some of them take their own life. But I want to tell you, we have a God who forgives. We have a God who forgives. And he forgave my friend. And he has become a counselor to me because Satan so often has tried to condemn me because of my struggle with lust, which has usually only been connected with my eyes and my emotions. Brothers and sisters, you know Operation Mobilization, radical discipleship. But we must, at the same time, embrace radical grace. I believe your church is already doing that. And I believe that's one of the reasons. You're more ready than ever to make an impact. You already are. To make even a greater impact on the nations of the world. God bless you. Go for it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I want to encourage you, part of what George is saying is God uses ordinary people. Imagine being the one praying for your neighbor, praying for that person that you know. It's okay to pray them into the mission world. Maybe you even feel the nudge. Uh, I didn't say this the first service, but what if you do feel that? I would just encourage you, come to us, send George an email. He will answer the email. Send us an email. I really think God's stirring something. We don't want to let that go. You know, for the last few weeks... Uh, repeatedly, and it's just God's sovereignty, we've talked about the fact that if you sit under the teaching of Jesus, he is going to tell you to go. Go make disciples. That's our mandate, that the Christian faith is a faith of action. It has to be. And so it is, it's just a reminder to us of that message that we've been talking about week after week. I just want to thank George for being here. What a privilege it is to have somebody like George uh, minister to us today, and that was awesome. I want you to stand as I pray for you, and uh, I just want to encourage you as you go out, make sure you stop at the table. I think there's still a few books back there that you can take advantage of, uh, but Lord, we just thank you for Operation Mobilization. Thank you for George Verwer. Thank you for that woman who prayed George into the kingdom, who prayed for his soul to be uh, saved, that prayed for him to have a call of missions on his life, and I just thank you uh, that she was faithful to that and that you did 
great things. I thank you for George and even his faithfulness of just starting out and doing what you've called him to do and going to Mexico and giving away some books and talking about Jesus. And I'm sure he had no idea what was going to happen and how you were going to use him. And Lord, may we be faithful in the little things so that you can use us in the big things. Thanks for this church. Thanks for the mission that you've given us. Help us to grow in all of that. Just bless Operation Mobilization. Bless George of our work. In Jesus' name, amen. Stop at the table. Thank you for being here today.